bitch, please. Oh, bitch, please, my ass. You want a sandwich? Dig that. Oh, hell yeah. She's a bad man. I'm a black man in a white world. If I wasn't a Christian man, I'd probably be kicking in your way. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Well, Kevin Garnett said it best once. Sorry, Minnesota sports fans. And we'll get into it next, what that really means here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Our summers are so short in Minnesota, it can be easy to forget about important safety measures. And when extreme heat is involved, safety is even more critical. Here are a few things to remember to keep you and your loved ones, including your pets, safe and comfortable. One, remember to not leave your pets and kids in your vehicle. Two, always stay hydrated in hot weather. Three, avoid exercise during the hottest times of the day. Four, stay in air conditioning as much as possible. Five, when traveling, stay sky aware. Check the forecast and prepare for unsafe driving conditions, thunderstorms, and tornadoes. High temperatures kill hundreds of people every year, but most heat-related deaths and illnesses are preventable. If we all slow down, take some time, check on our loved ones, and enjoy the beautiful season. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. I hope you're never injured in a collision, but if you are, don't sign anything until you've talked to us. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Bradshaw and Bryant. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to welcome to today's podcast, and you won't believe the last name when I, when I say this, on a book about uh, sports catastrophes in Minnesota, and the author of the book is Dan Minnesota. How you doing, Dan? I'm good. How are you, sir? It's nice to meet you. <laughs> I, I appreciate you coming on. Dan is a... Um, He's more than an author. Dan is a husband, a father, a teacher. You know, we should start saying, we should also say thank teachers for their service. (laughs) Thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah, um, I have military people in my family, but I also have a numerous amount of educators in my family. I'll call them thank you as well. Yeah, Uh, you're a pop culture nerd and a foodie so hopefully this is this will be an interesting conversation (laughs) (laughs) so in my um pre-introduction i did my worst kevin garnett impersonation when he and he actually said sorry k fan but i changed the words and i said sorry minnesota sports fans what (laughs) what is it that um just seems to have this gloomy cloud over Minnesota sports teams. 
Oh man, that's a loaded question. Um, I don't know. It's just I know personally for me when I'm watching a game and and you know even like last night where the Twins had a lead, you know you're like, okay, when is it going to happen? It's just something that's like that's like ingrained into us that we just expect doom. I mean, does that make sense? I, I don't know how else to explain it. <clears throat> yeah, because it just seems so psych- psychological. And I have to apologize for my son for having him born here and raised here. Because I was born in St. Louis, so I have a rich winning sports history. And um, I thought he would grasp onto that, but no, he became a Minnesota sports fan. And my most vivid memory... Uh, I have two sports memories of my son. One is uh, fabulous, and one is not so fabulous. Uh, The one is Curry Puckett's uh, game-winning home run. Classic. I was at the game and didn't see it because I had to leave because my son was in child care, and we had to go pick up my son. (laughs) And when we got to the car... I uh, looked at my wife at the time and I said, well, the tw- you know, we were parked close to the Metrodome. And I said, well, Twins just won it. And she said, How'd you, how do you know? I said, can't you hear that noise? And so, yeah, oh, man. every once in a while I, I remind him I didn't see that uh, historic home run because I had to <laughs> rush to come pick you up. It's your fault. <laughs> I didn't see one of the greatest sports history moments in minnesota (laughs) and then in uh 19 i think it's 98 he was like nine or ten years old and that was the mission to miami debacle that they were supposed to go to the super bowl and go to miami and uh i was taking him back home to his mother and we were listening to the to the game on the radio as I was driving, and uh, Atlanta kicks the field goal, and <laughs> and I kind of he's sitting in the back seat, and I look over my shoulder, and and they kept look, you know, I look over my shoulder, and all of a sudden I start hearing sniffling going on. It's like, oh no, <laughs> are you okay? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh boy. <laughs> you know, I have a funny story about that one too. Um, Obviously, you know, Anderson hadn't missed any field goals, right? Right. And I, I, all week long, I thought I was being funny. And I was saying to my friends, wouldn't it be funny if Anderson missed a field goal in this game? And everybody's like, shut up, knock it off, don't do. And as soon as he missed that field goal, my phone started ringing. And it was, you know, we didn't have cell phones back then either, you know. So it was like, I remember, I I could picture it today, This that rotary phone just kept ringing, and everybody was mad at me for saying that. Like, oh, my God. Well. I don't joke about that stuff anymore now. Okay. You know better. So, uh, why write a book on such tragedies in this state? <laughs> well, you know, this whole thing um, started out as a film. You, you know, you in your intro, you said something about you won't believe the name. Right. Well, the name the name came from. Have you seen the, the documentary Believe Land? Yes. Okay, so that's where this whole thing started for me. Um, I watched the Believe Land, which is a great film, and uh, um, you know, Cleveland fans they're they're just as tortured as we are. But um, 
in that film, there's a couple of things that they use as kind of their seminal kind of moments of why they are so tortured. And every, almost every one of those moments that they go through, mm-hmm. Minnesota has, like, a matching one. Like, they talk about, you know, a certain trade that was right. the worst trade ever. We have Herschel Walker. Mm-hmm. They talk about Ernest Biner's fumble at the goal line. Um, we have Darren Nelson's uh, drop pass at the goal line. As a matter of fact, those two happened on the exact same day. Did you know, they? Just I didn't totally realize spooky. that. Yeah, exact same day. And then at one point they talk about how this is the one that really got me. This is the one that kind of may be the, my beginning moment, my origin story. <laughs> they talk about how the guns, the gun, gun arena, you know, mm-hmm. saved the Cleveland Cavaliers from the evil owner Ted Stepien in, in the movie. And for those, and in, even in the movie, they show a picture of the guns with a North Stars flag behind them. Because <laughs> the guns owned right. the North Stars right. and tried to move them to... San Jose, which they took half the team and eventually did. But I was just like, wait a second, you guys can't claim, you know, that you're the most heartbroken when you're using, you know, that's the guns. They tried to take my North Stars away. So I created a rebuttal, a, a, a mockumentary film, called, you know, because Believe Land, I created Winnesota. <laughs> like, when is it going to be our turn, right? When do we get to have our, you know, next championship? And I, I made this uh, like mockumentary. It's an actual film, and we had a premiere in the garage with family and friends and all these things. And I had you know movie tickets, and it was just a just a fun thing we did in the summer. And you know, one of my one of my friends at the time encouraged me. He goes, you know, you should really take this farther. You should you should start writing again because I had written in college a little bit, and so I started this blog um, about just random Minnesota sports things and and. Uh, I saw on Twitter, uh, Super 70 Sports Guy, he posted mm-hmm. something about Jim, Jim Marshall running the wrong way on this date so many years ago or whatever, and I thought, God, somebody should really put together a, a calendar of all the bad things that have happened to us. So I started putting this calendar together. And I, I called it the Minnesota Sports Disappointment Calendar. <laughs> and one morning I'm listening to K-Fan, and Barrero you know, says, hey, what what's your favorite or your 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 worst Minnesota sports memory, and I sent him the whole calendar, and he he replied immediately. He's like, "Oh my goodness, you know this is more than I expected," and he started using it as a bit. And uh, I got like another uh, K fan guy had me on. Scott Korzanowski had me on to talk about it one time, and the next day I had an offer from a book company saying, "Hey, we want you to write a book about this." I mean, I had no intentions of ever becoming an author, so. Reluctant, I guess you would say. Right. Yeah, the Ernest Biner fumble uh, won me some money that day. <laughs> <laughs> I had. I'm, uh, looking, I'm looking at a picture of it right now. I have both of them on the same page. <laughs> Biner's fumble and and Darren Darren Nelson laying on the ground looking at his hands. <laughs> right. No, I um had I had the Broncos and um, bet my two college roommates that day. And they were dancing in my face the whole game and this, that, and the other. Because the fumble led to the drive. Right. <laughs> Which is somebody else's great moment. Right. And um, Denver's driving down the field and Elway's just, you know, this and dink and dunk and chunk and run. 
and they tie the game. And I didn't realize at that point I had won because the point uh, different the point di- uh, differential of the bet. Even if they scored a touchdown and kicked the extra point, I still won. So my nice. <laughs> my roommates both balled up their uh, $10 bills and threw them in my face. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> January 17th, 1988 was the date. Yeah, I didn't realize that the Darren – and I always gave Darren a little, you know – that throw was to me. It was low. He had to. Well, die. I heard it wasn't for him. I heard it was for Anthony. It was intended for Anthony Carter. If you watch the video, you can see Carter's behind him. It wasn't even for Nelson. No. Oh. So, I wonder if um, did who threw that? Tommy Kramer. Um, I thought it was Wade Wilson. Okay, I wonder if Wade has ever said who he was actually trying to throw it to. See, I thought I I saw an interview with one of the players that said that. That okay. That's where I got that from. Yeah, that would that that would be interesting to have Wade open his mouth and say that. But I think I think he passed away recently. Did oh, he? Did he? Yeah. No. I'm sorry. I don't I don't know my uh, the whereabouts of the former Vikings quarterbacks. So, I don't either. I just happen to remember it happened. Right. So. Um, yeah, you know, just recently, my Blues beat the Wild in the playoffs. And you would have thought the uh, the world was going to end the next day in this state. <laughs> um, is it because fans here get too high and then when it, something happens, they just... Um, the crash is so bad or the expectation of the, if to me if you're expecting bad then when it happens it shouldn't be as bad but right minnesota sports fans just seem to just not handle it well well i think that that particular incident is kind of twofold one i mean kaprizov really has changed the team i mean clearly i mean he's I look at it like that year we brought in Brett Favre for the Vikings. He, I mean, just something felt different, you know? Right. Like, you could tell this was going to go farther than it normally did. And I think maybe that kind of led to that. And, and you know, there, there's going to be more of that in the future, obviously. He's still young. You know, we only had Favre for the one and a half, two seasons there. But um, I think that's, that played into it. I think people were drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit more with Kaprizov and the way Fiala was finishing the season. Um, but I also think, too, and I'm probably not going to win myself any fans here, but I think Minnesotans, sometimes we overvalue our teams and our players. You know, when we talk about, oh, the Vikings next year, we got this guy, we got this guy. And, and yeah, but they're not as good as the other guys on the other teams, you know, and, and sometimes right. that's a hard pill to swallow. We, they drink the Kool-Aid a little bit too much, and, and I'm guilty of it, too, sometimes. Um, I think we tend to overvalue our players more, is, and I think that's part of it. Also, is it just the, the desperation of wanting something so bad? I mean, oh, I'm sure that plays into it too. Yeah, I mean, uh, you have the six—I guess you would call the six major sports 
in this country, you know, including soccer and and WNBA, which, you know, the uh, WNBA team, the Lynx, are very successful yeah, and have won titles. But Horrible. It, right, but it just doesn't seem to scratch that that itch for people. Is, uh, in your mind, is that just not good enough? Well, as a, a former, you know, coach of women's sports, I'm, I'm going to be careful what I say here. Um, um, I think people look at the big four. I mean, you what you said six. Yeah. I mean, and and you also, I would include the St. Paul Saints had a championship a couple of years back too. Um, but yeah, I think people are are they really want to see one the, one of the big four teams win. I mean. Um, not to. I mean, we got the Aurora now too, the Minnesota women's soccer team, and they're. I think they're undefeated. I think they won again last night. I, I forgot to check the score. Um, but yeah, I I, uh, I think people want to see one of the big four teams do it. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it just comes off to me as. <laughs> I had discussed this with a couple of people at work, and we were. Um, talking about the fact that the Packers fans are terrible winners. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. And, you know, instead of just... Um, smug. Smug is the word I use. Right. Instead of just taking the victory and moving on with life, they have to uh, rub it in your face and dance and talk about how great it was and, um, and all those things. Whereas... <laughs> The Minnesota sports fan is just a terrible loser. It's just oh terrible. I'm I am awful. Even in like board games when we play in the house, my son and wife, or I'm I'm at school and I'm we were doing something last week. I can't remember what we were, we were playing some game, and I'm I'm telling the kids I'm like, hey, I'm a terrible loser. I'm a ter- I get angry. I get upset. I'm overly competitive. Yeah, I agree. We are we are not not good losers. Right. But that will say the Minnesota sports fan is not a violent, <laughs> not a violent loser. I don't know. No, did you did you see that video about yes. that, the hockey fan the other night? Right. The, the Ranger fan? Yeah. I was thinking when you said that, that's what struck in my head. No, we're not like that. No. <laughs> and, we're Minnesota nice, man. We don't right. do things like that. And the last time the Vikings were in the NFC uh, championship, they had to play at um, Philadelphia, right? And was, I guess, the fans who went there, you know, took their lives in their own hands by going there, and they were. Saying, I've seen, I've seen all kinds of videos. Those fans in the parking lot. One guy got arrested for like punching a police horse. He punched <laughs> a horse. Oh god! <laughs> <laughs> who does he think he is? Alex Karras from uh, Blazing Saddles. Right, right, right. They, they, don't they have a jail in that stadium? Uh, they don't have it anymore, but in the old vet, they had That's a jail. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. <laughs> they yep. had a, jail, a prison for people who acted up, and <laughs> they took them down there and held them. And That's they, what I'm thinking of. Right. And then had a judge on hand to do uh, afterwards to do arraignments <laughs> to release them. A judge, too. I didn't know that. Yeah, I believe they had a judge there. <laughs> so That's like, great. Yeah. So when um when you put in, you know, when you put together this history, did it just seem like it uh was just writing itself or did you really have to dig deep? 
No, it's, I mean, just what was it last night? They're not last night. The night before, the Twins hit those three consecutive home runs, and then they lost. They were only the second team in Major League Baseball history to do it. It just keeps happening. And, it, you know, it's funny. One of my friends suggested that in the book, we should leave some blank pages at the end so people can just fill in fill in events as they happen. And right. I thought it was brilliant. The publisher, you know, worried about page count and costs and everything, didn't think it was very good. But I thought it would have been brilliant. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, these things just keep happening, you know. And it, it literally does write itself. I mean, yeah, I, I do some – I do some deep – I call it going down the rabbit hole. You know, sometimes somebody will suggest something to me. Uh, you know, and, and I go down that rabbit hole and I'm going to find whatever I can on it. And, and I, you know, my blog, I've written some things about, you know, the, the John Wooden snowstorm story, or there's the, the, the myth of the Paul Bunyan's ax or the Gene Sarazen golf story, which, you know, none of them are actually true, but, you know, some people don't like to hear that they like hearing the, the legend rather than the truth. But yeah, I mean, so there's some parts of this that I do a lot of deep dives on, but some of them I really it's it just it presents itself. Well, you know? and, and you you mentioned um, you just mentioned the, uh, the the great basketball coach at UCLA, John Wooden, the Wizard of Westwood, right? And supposedly he was coming here for a job interview, and a snowstorm kept him from coming here. That, that, it was a phone call. It was right. a phone call. Knocked. The um, he was he wanted to bring his staff with him, and the AD I think his name was McCormick at the University of Minnesota didn't have the authority to approve those salaries, so he was going to call him, check with the regents, and call him back. And in that time, a snowstorm apparently legendarily disconnected phone lines in Minnesota, and they could not get the phone call back to him at the expected time. And in that time, he changed. He took the offer from UCLA because he was waiting to hear from Minnesota. They didn't call back, so he took the offer from UCLA. And and what was it? Nine championships later, and the greatest coach in the history of of college basketball. You know, my one of my friends at work says, you know, that snowstorm, you know, might have been the best thing that ever happened to John Wooden. Because <laughs> if he came here, let's be honest, he may not have been the John Wooden we know today. You know. But part of the the torture, the torturous history of Minnesota sports, especially at the University of Minnesota, or at least the perceived uh, bad history, is that any coach that gets good is going to automatically leave. Yeah, they're going to get. To, you know, people worry about PJ right now leaving. You right. Know? Those that you know think uh, PJ is the greatest thing since sliced bread. They're they're you know. And he, he could be, you know, the Michigan had their opening, uh, and well, th- did they have their opening? No, they kept. No, they kept um, Harbaugh. They were, oh, that was when Harbaugh was potentially going to be our Vikings coach. That's what right. I'm thinking. But that's they were speculating that PJ was going to go, right? I mean, that was kind of the scuttlebutt right. at that point. So yeah, I mean, flyover country. That's what Barrero calls it. You know, the the other programs seem to to matter more than us. In, in other people's minds, not in our minds, and in, in other people's minds. Well, and, and here's the thing: it, it basically it's only happened once, and it was with Lou Holtz, a man, yeah. who, a man who never wanted to be here in the first place. Right. They talked him into the job, sold the fact that, and 
basically sold out uh, the the history of gopher football by saying, well, you know, you come here within a year, we're going to build an indoor stadium, so you don't have to worry about being cold. And, um, well, the stadium was built, and they talked him into it, and the legend is that in his contract, it stated that if Notre Dame came calling that he could go, which yeah. is untrue. In his contract, it, it read, if you can get us to a bowl game, if you get us to a bowl game, you can leave. Mention no school, and it just said a bowl game. So that I didn't know. I that You just may have sent me down a rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to write that down. <laughs> I was a student manager for Gopher football in the 80s, and then I became a student worker in the department. So, so when I, every time I hear that, um, you know, that was a, another one of those Sid stories to make the university look better. Uh-huh. I know exactly what you're talking about. Right. And, um, no, the, the actual wording was to get us in a bowl game. I'm writing it down. And then he was free to go because Notre Dame was never his dream school. Ohio State was. Oh, okay. So. Well, the thing that you touched on another thing there that's kind of a, a hidden little nugget too is the whole playing in the Dome thing because they weren't so sure they were going to move to the Dome until Lou Holtz gave right. a very impassioned speech and then like a 30-year lease was signed or something like right. that after. So, and, that, and a lot of people attribute you know, the gopher football moving off campus as one of the uh, the more harmful parts of their history in those tough 80s. Well, it was it was so antiseptic and, um, you know, it, it was a, you know, for us who worked it, it was yeah. a road game. Yeah. Because you, it, there was no difference going on the road and going to the Metrodome. You still had to pack everything to go play. And then bring it all back, and you know you you had to bus players around and all those things. And and actually, when we first started playing there, we played night games, which was the absolute worst thing. <laughs> we played at because um, you're competing with the Twins and Vikings schedule, right. right? We would play at seven, eight o'clock at night, and that place had no air conditioning the first year either. So, and I remember some Friday night games too. Yeah, yeah. There was the the famous Michigan game where they, yeah. uh, um, we we had to play on a Friday night because of uh, Major League Baseball, either World Series or playoffs, one. and just got drubbed. It was like every third down, Michigan scored. It was Chris Perry screen pass right, screen pass left. <laughs> we couldn't stop him. I was there. Yeah, they. Um, oh, I think you get that mixed up with the infamous Mason. Meltdown. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm, I'm thinking of is the Mason one yeah. where they blew the giant lead. Yeah. No, this was the. Um, this was different, and um, this was in the early, early into the Metrodome. Oh, I was not there then. Yeah. <laughs> and they, I'd never forget it. It was like we held them on first down. We held him on second down, and then third down came, and I'll never forget. 
one of the full-time uh, equipment managers looked at me and went, huh, it's third down again. <laughs> they would score. It was just unbelievable. And Michigan just ran up the score and beat us. But the uh, the Mason game, I was a I was the world's oldest football equipment intern <laughs> at that time. And we went ahead and the crowd was losing its mind. The, the sideline was juiced except for one section. Abdul of, Kalik? Abdul Kalik, was he our quarterback then? Yes. And he ran that one up the middle after they kind of scored right. to kind of get momentum back. Right. And i never forget, uh, my boss comes over to me. He goes, isn't this great? We're going to win this. And I just, I didn't say a word. <laughs> I pointed to the defensive bench <laughs> and to a man, every one of them heads were down and hanging because they knew oh. they couldn't stop them. And it's like, oh, man. <laughs> so do you, do you remember where the, the Twins bullpen was there? Yes. So that's where our seats were. They had that kind of little ledge yep. that kind of protected the pitchers sitting there, and that's where we would set our drinks <laughs> in the game. And the Michigan bench was right there. So I'm sitting, I was screaming at the Michigan players, get out the jug, I want to see it. You know, I'm just screaming at them. You know, and then I remember just watching it all happen and the meltdown and going, is this really happening? And then I just, at the end of the game, I remember just sitting there kind of with my head in my hands and I felt like I'd been punched in the gut and I, like just like, like I got dumped by a girl or something. You know, that's how I felt. I was just like, what just happened? You know, and it was it was just surreal. Well, I I can tell you, Dan, it was even more surreal if you were on the side. Yeah, I can't imagine. Yep. Because you just you stand, you know, you're standing there, and you're trying to support the team as best right. as possible. But you know, there's nothing physically I could do. I can't right. go out there and make plays. Um, I can't call plays. And but you just know there's an avalanche coming, and you just go, oh God, this can't, this is not going to be good, because you know people had thoughts of Rose Bowl in their head at that point. Yes, that's right, that's right. They if they win that game, they would have been in Rose Bowl talk, absolutely. And then follow up next week to losing to a terrible Michigan State team on the road, and it was like, right. oh great, thanks. This is what we needed. Yeah. So, um, and I hope not to put you on the spot here, but do you <laughs> kind of have like a top ten? Or yeah, a, the, or top a of each sport? Because in the book, in the book, we kind of let fans rank them. Yeah. We did like a survey beforehand, and um, but or or like a personal one. Do you mean? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, let's do the. Th- uh, the one that's in the book. Okay, well, so there was a little debate between me and the publisher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my personal number one, and I think kind of might be also part of my origin story, is the North Stars leaving. Um, the North Stars were a huge part of my childhood, mm-hmm. and I used to go to a lot of games. I don't know if you, uh, I'm sure you've heard of Mancini's The Restaurant, right? Right. My yeah, parents I've been there a couple of times. Yeah, my parents are friends. We're friends with them, 
And Marianne Mancini, um, Nick's wife, used to bring me to North Stars games all the time when I was a kid, and Strikers games, and Met Center. I just, I have so many fond memories of that place. And um, I, I, if I was to rank the top ten, the North Stars leaving would have been my number one. And the publisher did not like that. <laughs> um, the publisher, um, like I said, we we did a, a top. I think we let fans rank the first 20. Right. And uh, I called it the Dirty Dozen. Okay. <laughs> so so we went, chapter one is called the, the Dirty Dozen. Um, and well, he did it in reverse order. I haven't looked at my own book in a while. Um, number one, I believe, is uh, we already discussed it, the uh, Gary Anderson mess. Right. I mean, you had... You had the take a knee. You know, we, we talk about the Gary Anderson miss, mm-hmm. but to me, Denny Green taking that knee just still <laughs> turns the screws with me to this day. We had one of the most prolific offenses in the history of the NFL that year, and he took a knee at home with like 40-some seconds on the clock. Oh, it still makes me mad. Yeah, I mean, what the worst you throw a deep pass and it gets intercepted they're not going to turn around and score they threw one on like first down a deep one to moss mm-hmm. and then they just said that's it we're taking a knee with on, on second down well then you're then you're uh basically giving it to chance because you're you're dealing with a coin as you we saw recently a coin yeah. toss yeah and, and then, and then there was also to the uh, when Robert Griffiths dropped the interception in the end zone. Mm-hmm. That would have changed it too. Just so many things in that game. That, I mean, that one was that one was tough. And and also for me, the Brett Favre year. Yeah. Um, that I think that's the one that really just kind of killed my innocence. Like. <laughs> That was the one I started believing again. I uh, That year was probably my favorite Viking season ever. I remember the day Favre was hearing Mark Rosen on the radio go, he's on the plane. Favre's on the plane. And just that whole day running around the house, I ordered a Favre jersey that day. Um, it was such a magical season. The, the Greg Lewis catch in the back of the end zone, my wife likes to tell this story. Uh I, I got so excited that when that happened, I stood up so quick, I passed out. Oh. <laughs> yep, I hit the ground, and um, I was that, that's one, one of my favorite seasons. And I just you just had that sinking feeling going into that game, and and that's I think that's the one that broke me and turned me into the uh, the the jaded, truly jaded sports fan that I am now, <laughs> you know, cause I was, I was full on drinking the Kool-Aid that year and I just don't anymore. And that, that's the one that broke me. Well, that's the game that also you had 12 men in the huddle on the sideline, not on the field, but on the sideline during a timeout. Well, and that's the worst part about it is it was after a timeout. Right. And what I've read is, that, you know, we all blame Tahi for that. But it was Childress's fault because he changed the play after they had talked about it in the timeout. That's what I've heard. Well, it wasn't Tahi's fault. It right. Was fault. Well, that's what happens when you have a kick-ass offense. So. 
<laughs> Great. <laughs> All right, what's next? Well, we have the four Super Bowl losses. Now, these yeah. ones, you, you'll probably remember more than I. Mm-hmm. You know, the funny part about these is, you know, so the last one was, what, 78, I think, with the yeah. Raiders? Mm-hmm. So I was five. Um, actually, I was four. It wasn't even five yet. So I don't remember any of these, or I didn't remember any of these. This is the this is the depth that I went. I went back and I rewatched all of them for the book, <laughs> just to make sure you know. Because if you're writing something historical, you want to make sure you know what you're talking about, right? Right. Um. So those we kind of counted those as, you know, three A, three B, three C, and three D. Um, those four Super Bowl losses because the Vikings were the first team to ever lose that many Super Bowls. Um, I think the Broncos did it afterwards, but. Right. Um, and since then, they've won a couple as well. Yep, and but the Bills joined that club also. Bills, too. Yep, yep. I forgot about the Bills. Um, but we got... I, I, But I do... Re- you know, I was a, you know, teenager uh, when they lost the last couple. And I was living in St. Louis. And actually, I liked the Vikings then because they seemed like a, a pretty good team. It was like, yeah, hey, they were. You know, that they defense. always... Because, you know, I had the St. Louis football Cardinals, which was, you know, <laughs> you know, a winning record was a big thing for us. We rather we didn't go to the playoffs, and we never sniffed the Super Bowl. So it's like, you know, you start looking around at other teams, and the Vikings were like one of the teams I was like, huh, that's a pretty good team. So. Yeah, and, the, you know, kind of that last one was – kind of the end too that was when right. all those players started kind of getting past their prime we lost um uh, was it jim finks the gm mm-hmm. to chicago and took neil armstrong our defensive coordinator and and a little known fact though here too is that bud grant had the opportunity to promote buddy ryan to the defensive coordinator but told him he wasn't gonna so guess who went to chicago and formed that defense <laughs> Well, that's that's kind of on my calendar as well. A little unknown fact, right? Well, there there's always a little deeper dive in all these stories than yeah. just the just the ugliness on top. <laughs> on top, well, right? Just the score, right? So what, we got we got the Herschel Walker trade next. Oh yeah, I remember. <laughs> I was. I do believe I was actually at studios at kq that day and and we all thought it was awesome and tom and bob were absolutely losing their minds because i think bob broke the story oh did he yeah yeah i mean i look at it think of it like more recently when we when we got parisi and Suter for the wild and how we all thought it was wonderful a few years into it, we started going, wait a second, this ain't so good, right? Mm-hmm. That's the only, I mean, it's not even the equivalent, I wouldn't say, because Herschel Walker was even worse. I mean, the Dallas media was all over Jimmy Johnson. They thought he was crazy. His coaches were trying to talk him out of it. And he went on TV and said he just committed the great train robbery, you know, because it wasn't just the picks he got. It was all the compensatory picks. Right. And a lot of people don't realize that it, it could have been worse Mike Lynn had, like, so the trade happened in October. Uh, in February the following year, Mike Lynn had to negotiate kind of an end settlement with Jimmy Johnson because it could have been worse. They wow. could have kept getting more picks from us. 
And I do remember now you saying that I read that in a Bob Sansinger story. Right. So it, it could have been worse. <laughs> yeah, and everybody thought it was, you know, Herschel Walker, you know, Heisman Trophy winner, which I'm going to be honest with you. With my uh, 40 years of college athletics and 22 years of college football, when I hear Heisman Trophy winner in NFL, I just go, eh. Yeah. <laughs> I hear Gino Toretta, you know? Like, it, they don't always equate. No. Yeah. And he had the great first game where the shoe flies off game and everybody's losing their mind. This is going to the Packers. Right. And everybody's like, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. And it just went downhill from there, and it built the Cowboys teams of the 90s. Yeah, we had three Super Bowls, all the picks they got from us. Yeah. I believe one of those one of those games following that trade was the Jerry Burns swearing one. You know, you're bringing <laughs> back all the KQ bits for me right. here now. You're personal talking to Darren right. and Coach Uncle Burnsy, I believe, because everybody was mad at Schnelker yep. um, because the offense, I've heard that they were misusing Herschel Walker. I don't know enough about football X's and O's to know whether that's true or not, but I've heard they were using him in the wrong formation, and it was kind of the, that was the reason he wasn't performing as well here. But there was, you know, the one game where the offense wasn't, you know, what was it, like six field goals? They won the game, but it was like six or seven field goals. They won it, uh, no touchdowns, and, you know, Jerry Burns, his epic, epic, profane-filled rant, which <laughs> – still makes me giggle today i'll watch it once a month just to laugh because yeah. it's so fun and, it's so fun and the great question by <laughs> i think it was pat i think at, it's royce yep at the end did you win the game yeah <laughs> he goes yeah we won the game the, the beauty of it is and i'm, I'm almost positive it is royce in there but the beauty of it is every time burns turns to walk away royce gets another one in just to keep him there that it's just genius it's a reporter just prodding him enough to keep him going, and it's just genius for those who haven't seen the video. It's amazing. And it and that doesn't happen anymore now. They have people that will <laughs> come and grab him, give right, him a hook, grab him, get him out of there, or stop <laughs> the questions or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so what's next? Um, after Herschel, we've got oh the Drew Pearson push off. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You know, and most people don't realize, they, we, we talk about, again, another little hidden nugget here, the, the push-off, the play before that play. Um, I think it was Nate Wright and, uh, not Nate Wright, am I getting that right? Yeah, well, there was a play before that that they started on, like, their own 20-yard line, mm -hmm. and they threw it to midfield, and the Pearson caught it and was pushed out of bounds before he caught it, but the ref ruled that he would have been come down inbounds had he not been pushed out. So they actually had two gifts right. on that two-play drive. Um, and uh, and then there's also, you know, the whiskey bottle part of it. And here's the other, the other hidden fact in that game. This is the weirdest thing that I found. Fran Tarkington's dad died during that game. No. He died watching it. And he, do you know what his dad's name was? No. Dallas. Dallas Tarkington. Did not. Those are things I've never known. His And so Fran Tarkington, after the game, was told his dad died while watching the game. Ooh, that's not good. 
Isn't that eerie? <laughs> These are the little nuggets I find when I dig into this thing. Yeah. And I think they eventually found the person who threw the bottle. Oh, did they? Yeah. Oh, I, that I hadn't heard. I've found, well, like, I, I don't composite know sketches of them right. in the newspapers. Yeah. But, but, yeah, I didn't know that. That'd be fun to know who it was. <laughs> the poor referee gets clunked with a fifth <laughs> yeah. of something. Armin, Armin or, something. Armin, uh, Ta- was it Armin Tajian or something like that? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, next, we got the North Stars losing the Stanley Cup in 91. Yeah, I, I really remember that. Yeah, Mario just took things over. Yeah, and he, he was, like, I think he missed a game or two because he had a bad back. Right. But then he came back and destroyed us. Um, you know, and the, the, the again, another hidden thing with that, it isn't just the loss. Um, after, like a week after that, was the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the dispersal draft, where the North Stars, the Gun brothers, wanted to move the, the team mm-hmm. um, because they were kind of getting screwed over by the Metropolitan Sports Commission because um, they wanted that property. And that's that's why the North Stars left. Um, but Louie, Nanny, negotiated a, a peace treaty with the NHL that if the guns could take half of the players and get an expansion franchise, if, if a different buyer could be found, the North Stars would stay. And that's when uh, Howard Baldwin came in and bought the team. Um, and uh, the guns took half. So like a week after this, they lost the Stanley Cup, half of the team went to San Jose. And and Howard Baldwin didn't have the money to really afford the team. And enter Norm Green. Yep. Yep. Who everybody loved until they hated him. So. Right. Well, yeah, we, again, we loved him at first. We thought he was great. He was going to save the team. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize, too, that that kind of dividing up of the team – was actually an undoing of a merger in the late 70s with the Cleveland Barons and the North Stars. So it was right. really kind of an untying of the shoe, so to speak, you know? Yeah, that yeah, because uh, when the Barons went away, they actually were absorbed by the North Stars, correct? Um, yeah. Um, trying to remember why the Barons came. I don't know if it was... Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, the Barons the Barons merged with the North Stars in '78. The Guns became the the primary owners, right. so left Cleveland. Um, after that one, then I have the 1981 Stanley Cup as well. That they ran into the Islander juggernaut mm-hmm. Mike Fossey, Trottier, um, Billy Smith, Billy Smith, the goalie. Yeah. See, I'm just, I don't know if you know this, but I, I'm part of my project isn't just books. I'm working on a North Stars documentary. No, I did not know that. Yeah, I have, the first two parts are on YouTube. The first part, part it's called the North Star State. Mm-hmm. The first part is about the, uh, the kind of the first year, the building of Met Center. Um, the second part is called Saints, Seals, and Barons. It's about the 70s. The Fighting Saints are in there, which is right. my next book. is That's where my next book came from, all that research for the 
the, the Fighting Saints, and then the merger with the Barons, um, and the California Steels, who moved to Cleveland and all that. Anyways, um, so my next part of the film is going to be about the 80s. So I'm literally just piecing together all that footage right now with this, uh, with the Islanders of the 1981 Stanley Cup there. So just kind of watching it for the first time or remembering it for the first time. Um, that was a that was an uh, interesting time to have all that come down because um, I couldn't figure out why they were trying to go back to that area because when because the California Golden Seals as they were called was yeah. one of the second six and they were yeah, a colossal they, failure. They were an expansion with the North Star. and the Blues and the Flyers yep. and the Penguins. Yep. Well, what happened was, what happened was the 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 NHL owned the team for a while because they could, you know, I think the Finley, the California or the mm-hmm. Oakland A's owner owned them for a while, and they couldn't. So the NHL had to like keep them afloat for a while. And this guy named Melvin Swig bought the team, and he had some deal to create an arena at some Yerba Buena Center Convention Center thing, and then. San Francisco elected Mayor Moscone and he kind of put the kibosh on the the whole project. So the NHL let Swig move the team and the Gunn brothers were minority owners at the time and they persuaded him into moving to Cleveland and then they became the Barons. What was the most famous thing about the California Golden Seals? Oh boy. I know they had, they're famous for having like matching luggage and um, boy, I don't know what I, is this a trick question? Um, Not really, because oh. it's uh, Charlie I Finley owned right owned both, and the A's were famous for wearing white spikes. Yes, that's so the what it was. Seals yes. wore white skates. <laughs> that's painted, right. They didn't make them white; they painted them white. Right. <laughs> yep, I forgot that, and I just watched the documentary too. It's really good if you haven't seen it. Yeah. I think it's on. Yeah, I have I not do. seen that. I'll have to take a look. But yeah, well, it's... that's that. It's, as I watch that, I'm going, "Why isn't there a North Stars documentary?" And that's kind of why I'm doing that North Stars film on the side here, um, just trying to document our history. Yeah, um, I, I couldn't believe that the the owners of the Wild didn't push harder to get the name back because it's, it's basically it's just sitting there. Yeah, well, I think the NHL owns it or Dallas owns it. One of the no, two. No, I think the NHL owns it. Yeah, um, and and you know, I know some like Louis. I've asked Louis straight out, "Would you rather they be named the North Stars?" And he says yes. You know. Yeah, I mean, other teams have done that. It's come back a second time, and because whenever it's known, whenever Seattle gets a pro basketball team, it will be called the SuperSonics. Well, and that goes back to my whole origin of all this, the Believe Land thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you got, you guys lost your Browns, you, you know. Right. At, well, before that happened, the North Stars left, and at least you got to keep your name. You know, we didn't. So, What's next there? Uh, well, the next one is kind of one that I, I, I struggle with because I don't like putting uh, injuries on my calendar because then you're like, because the calendar is supposed to be fun. It's right. supposed to make people laugh and look at it in a humorous way. And I don't like looking at injuries. You know, people send me things about somebody getting injured, and I don't like to make fun of that. Um, but this one was so 
heartbreaking that it had to be put in there. It's Kirby Puckett retiring due to his loss of vision. Yeah, that's uh, that wasn't good. I was Kirby was an acquaintance of mine, and uh, I wouldn't call him a friend. But when we saw each other, we would have conversations and sure. whatnot. And to have it happen that way, and then the way he eventually died was just tragic. Yeah. And I, I think of it as, you know, we talk about why our teams can't win. You know, and the, well, the Twins won too. The Twins won too because they had Kirby. Kirby was a special player. He was he was the Brett Favre. He was the, you know, he... He's the one guy, you know, get jump on my back, fellas. I'm going to take this whole game over. And uh, you, those special players, you have to have a special player if you're going to win a championship. And he just was that guy. Because the year that he uh, went blind, they had brought in Paul Molitor. Yeah. And he was, and everybody was going nuts because they were thinking, you know, we now have Puckett and Molitor, you know, we're going to the we're going to the World Series and it's just you know all of a sudden you get the news that uh, Kirby is going to retire and everybody's like what the heck yeah so, and it was like within a month it was right. a month or two that it all happened it all went down very heartbreaking yeah Any, um anything next yeah, well, I'm on number nine. Okay. I mean, I don't know how much time you got here. Uh, no. Go for academic scandal. Yeah. <laughs> which which nowadays looks like much of nothing. Yeah, well, I think uh, I think Gangelhoff died, didn't she? Didn't yeah, she, die? she passed away. Yeah, that stress just, that's awful. Yeah. Sad story. Sad story. Now here's the. Well, go ahead and tell what the what the the gist of the story, and I'll give you a little deeper dive. Well, they into were it. they were getting their homework done for them, and um, they got the their final four banner rescinded. Was that the right word? Yes, it's, it's taken down. It's sitting somewhere where the university will not tell anybody where it's. At. <laughs> There's a secret room. Right. <laughs> Now, um, supposedly, I've been told that somebody actually has it, that, that, that the university does not have it. Somebody personally has it. <laughs> That'd make for a nice man cave. Uh... Right. Yeah. Uh, gosh, I loved Bobby Jackson. He was. I'm looking at the picture in the book. Bobby right. Jackson was one of my favorites. I loved watching him play. Well, here's the deeper part of this story. All right, go. Um, we're recruiting Khalil Alamine, and he had committed to Clem, and they were playing in the um, Howard Pulley Summer Basketball League or whatever, mm -hmm. and Russ Ashambo started picking fights with Khalid and to the point that they actually did get in a fight hmm. and Khalid because of that changed his commitment to UConn and, oh. and Clem got upset by that and 
basically was trying to run Russ off the team. Well, Russ, Ashembo, and Jan uh, Gangelhoff were both na are both Native American, and Jan got teed off by that, and that's why she turned state's evidence against. Oh, her. I see. Okay. Yeah. That's why. That's why she opened up. Okay. Right. Interesting. I'll I'll never forget that Pioneer Press newspaper that day. I still still can remember seeing it. You know. Well, Bob. When the scandal broke. Weeks before that, Bob, I was in KQ studio, and Bob asked me this just out of the blue weird question: How dirty is Clem? And it's like Clem isn't dirty. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and it, he just had this shit-eating grin on his face like oh you'll find out it's like, he knew something right he knew that and that was the thing george dorman got all the credit but bob did all the work <laughs> I, that i did not know right and um what, what, what was bob with the pioneer press at the time yeah he was okay. but he okay. was he was kind kind of the number two guy on the story okay so and when they give out that award, they only give it to one person. So they gave it to George. Gotcha. Um, the other thing, and I've talked to people who were on that team, they said Clem never asked her to do that. And they said they will go to their grave believing that. Huh. They just believe that she just, you know, sometimes... and. It's a lot more controlled now because it used to be the academic people answered to the athletic director. They now right. answer to the uh, president. Yeah, that all changed. Yeah. And um, that she just ran with it and, and just did whatever she felt like. And, you know, and maybe that is the lack of institutional control because... You're just seeing the good grades there, and you're not questioning anything. Right. But then you... <laughs> and the reason why I said it looks like nothing now, you had North Carolina <laughs> admit to the fact that they had a class for people to take that there was no class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you signed up for the class, and you, you got in basically an automatic A. <laughs> And their way around it was, well, anybody could take the class. Study skills. We're working on study skills. <laughs> no, it was African. <laughs> it was some type of African American studies course. Oh, is that okay? Yeah, <laughs> but anybody could take it. So right. And you know, you hear stories of like, you know, schools have the weightlifting class, and well, back in the eighties, they would have the weight training classes taught by the strength coach of the football program and they would uh, register student managers or other people and then tell them don't show up ever again because <laughs> literally it was a way of this is before you had all the structured weight training you have now this was a way of getting the players more time in the weight room right so yeah I mean it's just interesting those, those whole things Okay, what's number 10? I'm, I'm waiting to hear this top 10 to see if my favorite one. Or... Okay, we got two left in the Dirty Dozen. Okay. Top 10 is uh, um, 
contraction. Oh, the and twins. And I'm not talking childbirth. You're talking to who? Oh, yeah, the twins. <laughs> right. Yeah, twins being contracted and Carl's whole scheme to try to get a new stadium. And Yeah, well, you know, when you're, you're a huckster, that never leaves. Because from what I understand, uh, Carl made money off of poor people by selling, which was a precursor of pre, prepaid credit cards, or something like that. Yeah. So that I didn't I didn't know, but he he spent the whole year denying that he didn't volunteer the team and getting offended everybody every time somebody asked him whether he had volunteered the team for contraction. But and the the part of the story that gets me is. So that season, the Twins went on a run, and they they beat Oakland. Was it Oakland in the ALDS? And while they're celebrating in the locker room, a reporter asks Carl again if he volunteered for <laughs> the team for contraction, and he admitted to it. He said, of course I volunteered the team for contraction. And, you know, why? He kind of went off on a rant. The Twins have not won a playoff series since. Right. That that ALDS was the last one they won, and Carl admitted contraction afterwards that it was his doing, and they have not won a playoff series since. So people are looking for a curse with the Twins. That's what I always go back to. <laughs> well, that's the other thing about the psyche of the Minnesota sports fan. They all buy into jinxes. Every <laughs> team has a jinx. Yep. The Twins is contraction. The you know you probably could find one for the Vikings. You know, I know Herschel the one. Walker. You want to know the one for the Vikings? Which what is it? So I don't know if you know this, but the Vikings were originally the owners of the Vikings were originally going to uh, join the AFL. Right. And they, that they drafted a team, and the draft was held here in Minneapolis. Uh, I think it was like the Nicollet Hotel or Nicollet Park, some fancy hotel in Minneapolis. The draft, the first AF AFL draft was held here. And then in January, they abandoned the team to join, got lured away by the NFL. That team became the Raiders. <laughs> so I like to call it the Lamar Hunt curse because Lamar Hunt was the one who kind of uh, 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 started the AFL. And who did we lose our first Super Bowl to? Lamar, Lamar Hunt's Kansas City Chiefs. And you lost one to the Raiders also. And we lost one to the Raiders. And the other two are AFL teams that we lost to. So right. that that's where I, I like to say the Vikings coaches. Uh, the Wolves, that would be the, the, the Joe, what's his name, contract, correct? Well, yeah, and that's actually, I think that's our next thing. Okay. No, it's not. Nope, I thought it was Bill Smith. Yeah. But actually, I like to blame the Timberwolves on myself. You may not know this story, but <laughs> um, when the Timberwolves' first player, everybody thinks the Timberwolves' first player is Pooh Richardson, right? Right. It wasn't. It was Rick Mahorn. Rick Mahorn was the first yes. Timberwolf who was yes, the... drafted in the expansion draft. The day of the championship parade, he was told to clean out his locker in Detroit. And um, so later that fall, they did – Remember Hoop Fest, downtown St. Paul or downtown Minneapolis at Lincoln Center, 
They had this big basketball tournament to celebrate the the new season, the new Timberwolves, and all this. And um, they had a they had a three on three game against Pooh Richardson, um, uh, Rick Mahorn, and Ty Corbett. And they KSTP drew some names of some fans, and I, little known to me, my mother had signed me up for it, and I got my name drawn. And you know, back then you didn't have like eBay, you didn't have Amazon, you couldn't right. just go to the Timberwolves gear anywhere. So what did I wear? I wore my Michael Jordan shirt. <laughs> and I walk on the court. Rick Mahorn sees me, and he instantly says, "I'm taking the kid with the Jordan shirt." And when I when we're out there before the game, he's like grabbing grabbing me and kind of shoving me and hanging onto the shirt. And the shirt ripped. He ripped my shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, obviously, I'm you know five eight, so we we didn't you know win. <laughs> it was all for TV and everything. But like a week later, he held out, asked for more money, and eventually got traded. And I I at the time I was just so mad, dude. What a jerk! He ripped my shirt and he didn't want to be in Minnesota. Well, then fast forward thirty years later, you watch the Bad Boys documentary, and you see how much it hurt him mm-hmm. to get abandoned by his team. Right. And then I welcome him with a Michael Jordan t-shirt. <laughs> so I like to claim that I may be at fault for some of the Timberwolves' early history. Because what did they get back out of trading him? Nothing. Right. Well, you know? they, that seems to be the history of that team. They make trades where they get nothing <laughs> in return. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, or they trade players who become better players at their next stop. Well, and when they drafted them, the media was like, the Timberwolves crushed this expansion draft. They that That's their first victory. That I mean, they were all thinking he's he was going to be our, you know, like I still have, I, I got a shirt, the Mahorn Big Bad Wolf shirt, you know? Um, yeah, it was, it was, losing him might have been our first misstep. So do we miss anybody? Uh, curses of anybody? Um, because I I I'm lied. I have two, because I have the curse of the Golden Gopher football program. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so, go ahead. Tell me, tell me that one. Okay, the uh, first one. Uh, Golden Gopher football had a long time equipment manager by the name of Dick Matson. Uh, Dick was a student manager of the six, you know, in the '60s when they were ch- championship material teams. Yeah. The last Rose Bowl game, um, he was asked if he wanted to go. Him and his his other, who became his other partner, Jack Johnson, both said, "No, we'll go next time." <laughs> because up to that point it was like yeah, yeah yeah we go every like two every two three years yeah. I'll, just, I'll go to the next one yeah and they said no we'll go next time <laughs> that's brilliant <laughs> there is there has not been a next time how do you spell matson m-a-t-t-s-o-n yeah yeah that's another rabbit hole you're sending me down and uh, unfortunately, Dick passed. Was it three, four years ago? 
But uh, yeah, he told he would tell us that story every once in a while. We would just <laughs> shake our heads because it's like you I'm never know. Where, I don't need to go this year. Right. You never know when you're gonna get that chance. You, you always go. And then, um, and I'll just read a final score, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Eighty-four thirteen. Oh, Nebraska. <laughs> right. I was the lead student manager for the team that year. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so, um, poor Smokey Joe. Yes, and Dick Matson was the head equipment manager, and back then he didn't have a full time assistant. So whoever the lead student was was basically his full time assistant, and. Uh, this was going to be the game that we make a statement and uh, start the turnaround at Gopher football. Pete Nigerian was on that team. And, yeah. And all type of other guys. And all week long, we're getting the team fired up, ready to go. And we get, get ready to go and we break the... Uh, you know, the, t- the tunnel that led to the field at the Metrodome. Um, we're standing there, and Dick's waving this, you know, those plastic bats, the big red ones. That, oh, yeah, the yeah. Big, look like a club. Ones. Yeah, but these are the big red ones that look like yeah, a I know club. What you're about. He's standing there, and he's waving that, and the crowd's just whipping into a frenzy, and... <laughs> They finally turned the team loose, and we run on the field. And, you know, we stopped them the first series. And so the crowd is losing their mind because we heard nothing but how powerful and great this Nebraska team was. And, yeah, they were. You know, Fry, Rozier, (laughs) uh, Turner Gill, Tom Rathman was the – center and they had a great fullback that also played for the you know 49ers and well and after that every time they touched the ball they scored and the average scoring drive was 31 seconds the <laughs> <laughs> time of possession was 31 because it was literally pitch touchdown <laughs> handoff touchdown pitch yeah. touchdown <laughs> handoff touchdown it was a track meet, and the line score was 21 points, 21 points, 21 points, 21 points. Yeah. And they asked uh, the Nebraska head coach after the game, Dr. Tom, and they said, um, why did you keep playing certain players, and why did you keep scoring? He's like, well, when you travel, when you travel, you can only bring seventy players. It's not like a home game where I could go a hundred and something deep. <laughs> and he goes, also those kids, those backup kids, have moms and dads too, and they they want to play hard too. <laughs> so, I always thought it was funny, you know, studying that because again, I was pretty young when that happened. Yeah. I I think it's. Very Minnesota sports that we missed an extra point. Yes. <laughs> you know, just go figure. Just salt in the wounds. Well. The kicker missed a, a kick. Well, there was one um, one year, Joe Salem blew his own son's red shirt. 
for an extra point. <laughs> and this oh. is part of the reason why schools stop having quarterbacks hold for extra points. Because I can't remember. It might have been Hornsey got knocked out for a play, and he was holding for extra points. And um, the backup holder was Tim, who we were redshirting. And in a moment of panic, they ran Tim out there <laughs> and blew his redshirt. Because it, it, it's not unlike today where uh, you can play four games and keep your redshirt. Back then, after, after the fourth game, if you played, no matter how many times you played, your red shirt was gone. Oh. Yeah, because Tim was – Tim had started as freshman in sophomore years. We brought in Hornsey. Tim was going to sit. And then – no, Tim started his freshman year, brought in Hornsey. Um, didn't redshirt Tim his – sophomore year we redshirted him we were trying to redshirt him his junior year so when then because Hornsey was a uh, JC transfer so then when Hornsey moved on and graduated or moved to the pros Tim would still have two years and right. all that went out the window I just pulled up the Nebraska game, like rushing and passing stats. Oh, yeah. It's... Here's, here's a quote from Osborne. It says, I really am sorry we scored that many points. Yeah. I really hope that people don't here don't think we did it in a vindictive manner. I felt <laughs> sorry for Joe. Joe was very gracious, and I think he's doing the best he can. I hope I hope people stick with him. We weren't running it up. It just seemed that every time I was looking up, we were scoring. Yeah, by the end of that year, uh, by the mid part of that season, Joe resigned. Yeah, I think he finished the season though. He but yeah, he, he finished the season, but yeah. he, he, he announced the resignation like a few weeks early. Right, and stopped talking to the press. Yeah. <laughs> so we interviewed him in the equipment room, and where where that videotape is to that day, this day I have no idea. But that is the last known interview of Joe Salem, huh. <laughs> where he called longtime. Uh, Equipment man, uh, hockey and basketball equipment manager Harry Broadfoot, a jackass at the end of it, <laughs> <laughs> and he laughed his way out the door. <laughs> I love that word. <laughs> you know, Joe with that that grin of his, and uh, Harry Broadfoot, you're a jackass. <laughs> and he just cackled his way out the door. <laughs> so, yeah, those were the two things that the uh, two biggest. You know, personal ones for me is because <laughs> I was actually standing. You're there. involved with them, yeah. Right. Some people may say maybe I'm the jinx, but who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't how Minnesotan is that though that we look at it as our own fault? Right. <laughs> Somehow I've done something wrong here. <laughs> oh, I believe me, and like I said, I wasn't born here. I wasn't raised here, and I'd be. Yeah, but you're I've, one of them. Right. I've worked in dugouts and sidelines and whatnot, and things start going bad, and it's like I change the gum in my mouth, or I yeah. go to a different spot, <laughs> or, I, <laughs> or I don't look, or I leave the dugout. Or <laughs> I used to kick the bats when I was coaching softball. All the right. bats kind of lined up. I just kick them on the ground. So, Wake the bats up. Yeah. Yeah, I did that one time with softball. I 
literally dropped the right before the game, dropped all the bats and just made this loud, not, uh, loud sound. <laughs> and Coach Alistair looked at me like, "What are you doing?" And it's like, really? "I'm trying to wake the bats up." <laughs> wake them up. People think you're mad. You're like, "No, I'm just waking the bats up." Just waking. <laughs> she chuckled and we moved on from that point. But well, I appreciate your <laughs> your time this morning, Dan. This has been. Uh, I you know I hear you with Barrero every once in a while, and I'd like just wanted to have you on my show just to. I appreciate the offer, man. It's yeah. nice to to get to know you a little bit, and the the softball connection we have. I think that's pretty cool too, man. Right. Yeah, uh, Miss Coonrod uh, did not play a lot, but she was there. She's took, a good kid. Yeah, I took care of her. So yeah. Um, hey, and I, I'd be remiss not to mention my uh, book coming up this sure. summer here, too. No, I was um, going to ask. Uh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. No, I was going to ask, you know, where can people find your books and your videos and, and reach out to you? Yeah, so um, the, the History of Heartbreak you can get on Amazon, and you should be able to find it in most bookstores, wherever books are sold is what I'm told to say. The um, the next book, the Fighting Saints book, which is the true story kind of behind the movie Slapshot yes. and the Minnesota Fighting Saints, which played in uh, the Civic Center in St. Paul from from 1972 to 1977. Um, uh, that book will be coming out. We're thinking August. Um, we're, we're just finishing editing now. It's it's going to be a fun story about all the crazy things that happened in that league and with the team and just some, you know fun fun hockey stories um and that will be available on amazon and it might be available somewhere else i'm not allowed to say yet because okay. we haven't finalized that deal What's um, it? but it might no what? i was just gonna say wasn't bill butters part of that he was because he would bill always was. bill was the reason why i became a goalie was because he taught the hockey class at the U and nobody would put on the goalie pads <laughs> and he knew me from me working in the department and he said hey do you mind putting on goalie pads just to get guys some somebody to shoot at <laughs> I said, sure he said sure. I'll coach you through it or whatever so he literally turned me into a goalie <laughs> through that class so one of the stories in the book just a quick one for you butter's first game with the fighting saints was mm -hmm. i think it was in cleveland and as many fighting saints games did um the players ended up fighting in the stands with the fans <laughs> <laughs> and um the star tribune reported that nobody was uh injured although one cleveland fan reported that bill butters bit him oh <laughs> <laughs> Just, and that's you know right. that's that's a kind of a perfect nugget of what the book is going to be about just the crazy time in the 70s and and then how it all led to the movie Slapshot and it's fun it's been fun writing it so right um but people can follow me on Twitter um the North Stars thing is at m north star state uh my other Twitter handle is at Minnesota. um books movies just having fun Learning about Minnesota sports history. And what's the name of the the uh, book for the Saints again? It's called A Slap Shot in Time. Because that, that team was kind of a snapshot of the 70s, of what right. was going on economically and, and 
and in hockey in general with the Broad Street Bullies and, and fighting and, and all that. Yeah, it's a nice title. I have to, I'll have to look for that when it comes out. Yeah. Well, oh, I'll advertise the heck out of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, I, I want to thank you for uh, giving your time. Uh, you're trying to come down from another, I guess we would say, a successful uh, school year of teaching. Um, you didn't have any open gunfire in your classroom, so that's always. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah. Maybe I have you on again just to talk about the fears teachers have these days. Oh man, you'll get me fired. I'll, <laughs> okay, I'll say things I shouldn't say. Right then, I'll keep you safe. I won't have you on for that. <laughs> you can have me on anytime, man. All right, Dan, take care. I really appreciate this. Hey, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. Sure. Again, this is Dan Minnesota, filmmaker, historian novelists here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Our summers are so short in Minnesota, it can be easy to forget about important safety measures. And when extreme heat is involved, safety is even more critical. Here are a few things to remember to keep you and your loved ones, including your pets, safe and comfortable. One, remember to not leave your pets and kids in your vehicle. Two, always stay hydrated in hot weather. Three, avoid exercise during the hottest times of the day. Four, stay in air conditioning as much as possible. Five, when traveling, stay sky aware. Check the forecast and prepare for unsafe driving conditions, thunderstorms, and tornadoes. High temperatures kill hundreds of people every year, but most heat-related deaths and illnesses are preventable. If we all slow down, take some time, check on our loved ones, and enjoy the beautiful season. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. I hope you're never injured in a collision, but if you are, don't sign anything until you've talked to us. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Bradshaw and Bryant. Welcome back to JB's Low Tech Podcast. Just wrapping things up. Again, I want to thank Dan Minnesota for his um, enlightenment on the history of the tra- tragic fandom of Minnesota sports, uh, pro sports here and college here in the state of Minnesota. And I'm going to spell Minnesota for you. That's W H E N E S O T A. And, um, just a uh, funny look back at things. I know things are serious in the world right now with January 6th hearings and mass shootings all over the place. I thought it'd be time to have a good fun break, and I hope that this brings it to you. Also, again, I want to thank Dan and all the other teachers in my life for being a teacher and being on the front <laughs> I hate to say this, front lines of education. I never thought I would have to say that but i guess that's where we're at with things so again invite a friend to my show 
you got anybody who maybe want to advertise on this show, I'm more than happy to take them. The show can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Podbean.com, Overcast, Google Podcasts, and all and a few others. It's growing, and I'm just and as I say all the time, I'm gonna keep trying. Have a good day, and thanks for listening here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. JB is my name, and f-ing up motherfuckers is my game. Negro, black, African American, black, black, black. Django, J. B. Damn, Dolomite. Great God in heaven, you know. J. B. Our great Negro sex machine.